Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilstead, you want to have a little fun? Sure. Okay, see, we all, we share, all the hosts share this one computer. <laughs> Uh-oh. And, you know, so when, when we all come in, we, we sign off, or we're supposed to sign off stuff, and then and we, we log into our own things. And yeah. there, there's yeah. some common stuff we do. Um, one of the things I always open up is, the, is my, my Twitter account, mm-hmm. except I'm not able to open up my Twitter account because... It's stuck on John McCure's account. So we, we've got McCure's Twitter feed that is up here. So is there anything you would like John McCure to say to his you know, his, his audience here? Because yeah, right. I, I, I can't get mine there, but I, I've got his mm-hmm, it's there. So right. let's see. What's happening? All right. Here, let's, let's, should we send out this tweet here? You know, you can tweet out phone numbers. You could, uh... you, you could, you could just do it. Well, okay. I, it's it's stuck there. So I mean, you think about it for a little while. You got yeah. a couple hours before he comes in. If there's something you want to send out that you've always wanted to say in John McCure's voice, <laughs> we've got we've got it right, right here. On. Great idea. <sighs> okay. Um, all right. Glad to have you with us. Uh, and today, hey, I, today I think the phone lines are working. If you were listening yesterday, we went through a period of time where about an hour and a half the the phone lines went down, which is always an interesting thing when you're doing a radio talk show and people can't call in, but today is going to be a better day. Got a lot of ground to cover. President Trump is still speaking in, in the East Room of, of the White House. He's going on, well, about an hour or so, um, and this is this is his victory lap, and I understand that that's frustrating for some people and it's gratifying for others, but he's taking his victory lap after along a, a largely party line vote yesterday he was acquitted of the charges against him in the u.s senate on the obstruction of congress um charge he it was 53 republicans voting against uh, 47 democrats voting for well well short of the 67 votes you needed to convict him and remove him from office on the abuse of power, Mitt Romney and President Trump, who have no love lost for each other, Mitt Romney voted with the Democrats. It was 52-48. But the bottom line is President Trump is acquitted. All right. Um, clearly, this entire process, this, this impeachment process, which has sucked all the air out of so many things over the course of the last four months, it, it's left scars. You saw this at the State of the Union two nights ago. President Trump refuses to shake Nancy Pelosi's hand. Nancy Pelosi then, in an act of petulant defiance that kind of reminds me of a six-year-old, stands up and tears up the president's speech. Okay, and so she's proud of what she did. President Trump, you know, these two people despise each other. I mean, this, this isn't like the days of um, Ronald Reagan, 
where you know he had relationships with like Tip O'Neill, who was the Democrat Speaker of the House, where they could just fight at each with each other during the day, but at the end of the night, sit down and have a drink. I don't think you're going to see that happen anytime soon. And you saw that play out at the National Prayer Breakfast this morning, where both Nancy Pelosi and President Trump were there, and he made some remarks that well, it took a pretty decent shot, I think, at Nancy Pelosi. All right, but but here is the question, and and we I understand that. We have discussed over the course of the last several months what was going to happen after today came around. I'm one of those guys who was saying from the beginning that this was preordained. I continue to believe it was a colossal waste of time. The president was never going to be removed from office. What I had suggested months ago was for people who wanted to express concern with that phone call to the Ukraine, what, what they should have done is they should have taken up a resolution of censure. I believe it would have passed the House and it would have probably had some bipartisan support. A lot of people looking at that phone call and saying, like I do, it doesn't rise to the level of an impeachable offense, but it, it wasn't appropriate. And there is, in my mind, a distinction. But they chose not to go the censure route. We've had the full trial. The matter, you would think, is closed. Except this This is where we are today. Immediately after the vote, you had a number of prominent Democrats saying, well, this isn't necessarily over. For example, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler said, all right, here's what we're going to do. It is only a matter of time until we call John Bolton. When you have a lawless president, you have to bring that to the fore. You have to spotlight that. You have to protect the Constitution, whatever the political consequences. So it is entirely possible that one of the House committees, controlled by Democrats, will attempt to, in one fashion or another, revisit this entire issue. Let's call the witnesses that we didn't call before for whatever reasons. Let's continue this investigation and let's see where this leads. And as I mentioned when I was talking to Scott Warris, what you need to understand is impeachment as a process is not like a criminal proceeding. Criminal proceeding, there is, there's what they call double jeopardy. You charge somebody with robbing a bank. You try them. They get acquitted. That's it. It doesn't matter if a week later somebody else comes forward and gives you all sorts of evidence that, you know, makes it clear that the person who was acquitted did in fact do the job, did in fact do the crime. Doesn't matter. They have been acquitted. Jeopardy has attached. You can't try somebody a second time for the same thing. That does not apply to impeachment proceedings. There is nothing at least in theory, which would stop Democrats from continuing to investigate President Trump on this and other matters. And some are apparently hell-bent on doing this. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. I think it is way past time to move on. I think the public has pretty much decided what happened here and will render its ultimate verdict on President Trump next November. There are some people in Congress that don't want to take no for an answer. They want to continue the investigations. Let's subpoena the people we didn't talk to before. Let's see what other information and evidence we can find. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not believe the American people have the stomach for continuing to do that. 
What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, where do we go from here? There's a lot of Democrats who just who want to move on. They, they recognize that they've done as much political damage to President Trump as they think they they can, and now it's time to move on and focus on different issues. There's others who say no. That this 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 is not. We cannot accept this verdict we need to continue the investigations the american people can't get enough of this really all right let's start with terry and oconomowoc terry you're first hello how are we doing jeff i'm well thank you and yourself i'm doing okay okay what do you think one thing i heard you mention that the jeopardy is attached right well, jeopardy what jeopardy it only applies in a criminal proceeding so it doesn't apply right. they could they could start the right. same impeachment proceeding again tomorrow and they'd be entitled yeah, to do you it. brought up that jeopardy was attached and because this is a p- political thing one thing in my opinion attempted extortion is impeachable and that's what trump did Okay, when you say attempted extortion, are you are you talking about something different than they already tried him for? Well, I mean, they didn't put extortion in the the articles, right? But that's what it was: attempted extortion of the uh, of the president of Ukraine. Okay, so would you like to see them then go back and and try to impeach him again under a different theory? Ah, uh, no, that's a waste of time because. The Republican senators are cowards because Mitt Romney was the only one who had any any courage to listen to the evidence. Gotcha. They weren't going to to listen because they're afraid of Donald Trump. Okay. Well, I guess. It, but regard, here, here's my thinking on this, Terry. R- regardless of whether you think that Donald Trump got away with something or whether you think that this was just a witch hunt, or whether you're somewhere in between. The one thing that I think you and I both uh, agree on is that continuing to go down this route on this issue, especially given the fact that you have a, a, a an election that's coming up in, what, 10 months, 9 months or something, I, I think would be a, a waste of time and a waste of spirit. I think the people in this country have made up their mind on this. And and maybe, you know, you, you think he, he's guilty of extortion and maybe they proceeded on the wrong theory or, or whatever. I, I just I don't think the American people have the stomach for continuing this sort of investigation. The Democrats took their shot. They, they, they went after him. They tried to impeach him. They failed. And candidly, you know, on this issue, the Ukraine phone call, etc. I don't care what John Bolton has to say at this point in time, it, to the extent that it's not going to change the dynamic. And the idea that, okay, we're going to go back to the House and we're now going to spend more time trying to pursue this even further, man, it talks about making my head explode. And and look, I, I don't know. Right now, President Trump is, is on a high. That's just the reality. His daily tracking polls are higher than they have ever been. I think a lot 
lot of people are looking at what happened with the Democrats, and especially in Iowa. You, you see campaigns and, and arguably maybe a process of selecting a presidential candidate that right now is in disarray. That could all change in a couple of weeks. But, but the idea that we're now going to go back and continue tilting at this particular window, I, I th- windmill, I, I think that's where you really do, you know, get a backlash. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of people that say, okay, enough is enough. Let's move on and let's focus on, first of all, can we get anything accomplished in the next nine months? And then who's the next president going to be? Is it going to be Donald Trump for four more years or is it going to be someone else? Let's talk to Ted. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Couldn't disagree with you more, Jeff. Uh, I know you, I know those who think like you would like to have us move on, but as a recovering lawyer, you know that this was not a legitimate proceeding because they blocked the witnesses. You know that. You're going to spin it otherwise because you're a Republican, but you know that, that they needed to bring those witnesses in, and everybody wants to hear what they have to say. And those who are not with the president don't think we should move on because... You know, the way he is not a stable genius, it's always fun to kind of poke a stick at him because of the reactions he gets. Okay, so let's play this out. Let's play this out. Play play this out with me. All right. So you you call John Bolton. John Bolton comes in, he testifies. And others. Okay, well, let, let's just work with Bolton. Bolton, he testifies okay. like his, his, the manuscript in his book supposedly said, okay, that, that Trump was, was in the room or whatever. All right, then do you want to restart the impeachment proceedings? I don't know about that, but I know they should have done it right this time. What? Because he can't legitimately, you know, you like to claim he's acquitted. He was acquitted because there was machinations that, that made it an illegitimate proceeding. Well, play, play this out with me. Do you the, want, way, okay, the, the operative question is, Do I understand you're, you're bitter that he, he got acquitted. I get it. Do you want to see them start? Do you want to see them start the impeachment process all over again? Because that's the, I mean, why uh, else you know, do you possibly, bring them in? Possibly at some time. Yeah, possibly at some time, uh, although... I know the strategy on the White House was let's kill it this time, and then we'll we'll do just like you're doing, and our spin will be, hey, why go back to this? Well, you go back to it because it wasn't done right. Well, okay, because it was blocked by the White House. Well, I mean, thank you. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it, look, it wasn't blocked by the White House. My 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 goodness, every, everything is out there. The the reality was Donald Trump was never going to be removed from office. That that was the politics of it. I happen to think that it wasn't an impeachable offense, and I, I'm I'm comfortable with that. Uh, do I think that it was a comfortable phone call? No, did I think that he did everything perfectly? Of, of course not. But but I guess what's interesting to me is. From a political standpoint, does this country want to say, okay, let's spend the next four months and let's go back and let's relitigate what we've just spent the last four or five months doing? And let's bring back the same witnesses and then let's add a couple more and then you know, we're going to have our different theories and then we're going to go back? I mean, really? Is that where we want to spend our time over the next several months. My point is, people have already decided, you know, what they think about the, the president. And I, I think it's very clear that, okay, John Bolton can, can come, come in and testify. That's, that's not going to change anybody's opinion. That's not going to get you 67 votes in the Senate to remove him from office, especially as we get closer and closer to the election. And if you want to talk about 
you know, alienating whoever is in the middle. I mean, you, in my opinion, at least, and I know the Democrats don't listen to me for campaign advice, you go down this route, say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back and we're going to bring in this guy and this guy and this guy. That might be red meat to the hardcore base who are angry and bitter or whatever words you want to use over the fact that Donald Trump wasn't removed from office. But I don't think it's going to appeal to mainstream folks who've said, okay, we've had this thing play out for the last few months. We either have happy with the outcome or we're not happy with the outcome but now let, let's focus on the important stuff which is you know what else can we do to make this country better over the course of the next several months and then who's going to be the next leader this is jeff wagner this is jeff wagner on wtmj So very glad to have you with us. You know, um, I, I want to talk about the, the criminal justice system around here, and, and we wonder why there's so many, so much repeat crime and things like that. L- let me just to start off, we're kind of ease into this topic. Let me just tell you a story. Tw- this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. 22-year-old Milwaukee man had a baggie of heroin in the back of a squad car last week when police arrested him for injuring two officers in a crash. Prosecutors charged Jawan Ware-Watt with four counts related to the January 29th crash that occurred during a police chase. Okay, He's charged with possessing heroin with intent to deliver, fleeing an officer, first-degree recklessly endangering safety, and first-degree reckless injury. All right, this is what the complaint says the guy did. An officer began chasing him. He was driving a white pickup truck near West Capitol Drive and West Appleton Avenue. The officer had noticed the truck did not have um, taillights on and that Werewatt was speeding up, ignoring stop signs, and not pulling over. All right, so this is just, in other words, it's a typical day on Capitol Drive in Milwaukee. You've got people that are, well, it's just true, Bruce Smiles. It's just true. You want to take a dangerous street, you try driving Capitol Drive right in front of our building. You take your life into your hands, in any event. So, okay, so you've got the guy, he's driving recklessly, no taillights on, speeding, ignoring stop signs, not pulling over. They try to pull him over. At one point, Werewatt drove into a parking lot at West Beckett and Vienna Avenues. The officer stopped near the lot entrance, and Werewatt began accelerating quickly towards the squad car. He's trying to ram the squad car. If the officer hadn't said, hadn't moved, the officer said he believes that Werewatt would have crashed into him. All right, so now you've got the deal. Fleeing from police, they, they trap him in a parking lot, and then what he does is he heads at a high rate of speed trying to hit the car of the officer. All right? He also drove through a field at North 71st Street to escape. Throughout the 4.3-mile chase, he was going up to 50 miles an hour and 25-mile-an-hour zones. He ended up crashing into another squad car that was responding around 76 2nd Street. Two officers in the car were injured. One suffered a broken right rib. The other has pain in his right hip and knee. Okay, so now this is so out of control, they've got other squad cars that are there. Two officers are injured after he crashes into a squad car. All right. Um, Where what? Minor injuries from his airbag deploying him. Police arrest him, 
They place him in the back of a squad car. Routine check at the end of the shift. The officer finds a baggie of heroin stashed in the back seat. So the loser had heroin on his possession, and he kind of hides it in the police car. Now, of course, you know, this... This is very reminiscent to the Milwaukee Police Officer Department because remember, um, you know, June of 2018, you had the death of Officer Charles Irvine, who died in a crash during a pursuit. So, I mean, very, very sensitive to this type of thing. And here you have another couple officers who are injured when this out of control punk decides that he's going to drive into them. Now, again, I understand this is the type of stuff that happens in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee on, on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. Why do I bring this up? Why do I bring this up? All right, they arrest the guy. Now, the the charges against him, the heroin, driving the car, fleeing the police, causing the, the accidents, crashing into the squad car, injuring a couple other police officers, the incident where apparently he was going to try to run down the one squad car intentionally, and the only reason that officer is probably not seriously injured is they were able to get the squad car out of the way. Okay, so that's what this guy did. That's what this guy did. They caught him. All right, so he goes in front of a Milwaukee County court commissioner to set bail. Now, Gru, producing the show today and always, those are the allegations against this guy. I don't even want to talk about criminal record, but okay, that's that's what you are accused of doing. Uh, essentially, I mean, recklessly endangering safety. But you could argue trying to kill a couple police officers, the heroin, all this other stuff. What sort of bail would you think would be set on somebody who did something like this? Do you have a guess? Just that. What, and I'm not asking you what you think they did. I'm asking you: Do you have just a guess about if you were the the magistrate, the court commissioner, the judge, and you had somebody came in front of you and uh, who did this? What kind of bail do you think you would set on them? Well, I'm not really familiar with setting bails, but uh, I would assume a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah, fifteen, twenty, maybe fifty thousand, something like that. Because the guy's clearly a danger. That's a lot of money. He was released on one thousand dollars bail which he has posted, and he is now back out on the street after posting $1,000 bail. If you want to understand why we have recidivists, why we have criminals, why we have people who have no respect for the law at all, and why we have people who are endangering us on a daily basis, this guy is out after posting a $1,000 bail. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, and chances are you or someone you know may be affected by it. Please join our very own Gene Miller for our latest WTMJ Cares initiative. Help us raise funds for a local chapter of the American Heart Association, all leading up to National Wear Red Day, which is tomorrow, Friday, February 7th. Actually, we also have a radiothon from 9 to 11 in the morning as well. Go to WTMJ.com for more details. WTMJ uh, Cares is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. All right, the the guy, and I'm getting a number of texts. People are saying, I'm making it up. No, I'm not. They let him out on $1,000 cash bail. What, what good can come of that? I mean, really. And maybe he's going to show up and make his appearances and get off heroin and stop driving and trying to run from police. Um, I, I'm not sure I take too much of the bet. Maximum charge, 46 years in prison. 
46 years potentially in prison for all these different things, and we've let him out on a $1,000 cash bail. Hey, an update to a story we talked about yesterday. Uh, what, what got me interested in it necessarily was Milwaukee Alderman Bob Donovan had sent out a, a press release on this. Of course, everybody knows earlier in the week the announcement of Rush Limbaugh, the national radio host, announcing that he has advanced lung cancer. And if you know anyone who has ever had to deal with with cancer of any form, you understand how traumatic and difficult an experience that is, if whether it's for the person that has it or for, for loved ones. And um, it, it's Rush Limbaugh was given the Congressional the Medal of Freedom from the President of the State of the Union. That incensed some people who don't like him because of his political views and the shtick that he does. And I understand all that. But at the same time, the guy's got cancer. Story was a Milwaukee public school teacher Guy teaches English at the Milwaukee High School of the Arts. His name is Travis Sarandos. And if you look at some of his previous postings, he's way, 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 way out there. Anyhow, he takes to Twitter, his personal Twitter account, saying that uh, he thinks that Limbaugh absolutely should have to suffer from cancer. It's awesome. He's dying. And hopefully it is as quick as it is painful. Okay, so for people who wonder why we need school choice in this state and in this city, I mean, Exhibit A is Travis Sarandos. Anyhow, there's a lot of people that were out there calling for him to be fired, him to be removed. My my point yesterday was, I mean, this is completely inappropriate, and this guy has no business being around, at least in my opinion. You know, if this is how he thinks, he has no business being in front of a classroom of, of kids. That being said... You know, there is this First Amendment in the country, and the First Amendment gives you freedom of speech. It doesn't give you absolutism. By that, I mean you have the right to say what you want. The government can't interfere with that, but it doesn't mean that you have the right to be free from consequences of that. And I, candidly, if not that I would have, but if I would have said something like that about somebody else on the radio, I, I mean, yes, do I have the First Amendment right as freedom of speech to say it? Yes, but I have no doubt that I would be sitting in an office with some of my many managers and they would be asking me what I was thinking of when I said those things because it would be completely and totally inappropriate. And I don't know that I'd be fired, but I would probably be disciplined and maybe you would end up being fired. In the private sector, there is that freedom to do it. The public sector is much, much different. And remember, We've had these stories over the years where you've had, for example, the the nutty professor who, after Barbara Bush passes away, decides she's going to take to Twitter and and celebrate the death of Barbara Bush, those sort of things. And the, the college tried to do something with regard to her, and ultimately they ended up getting shot down because, you know, she was a tenured professor at a public university and and there wasn't much they could do. At the end of the day, I don't think that there's much that the public school system in Milwaukee is going to be able to do with regard to this particular teacher. I mean, he sent out the inappropriate tweet, but he did it on his own time. He did it on his own Twitter account. At the end of the day, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do much to him. The update on the story is that apparently they have suspended him pending an investigation. I don't know exactly what that means, but he's been placed on leave pending an investigation. At the end of the day, again, I, I'm not. This is just one of the one of the benefits of being in the public sector. Even though most people would perhaps agree that it was 
you know, inappropriate, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to, again, find this actionable. Probably doesn't rise to the level of hate speech in the sense that if he had made racist comments, okay, that would be a different thing. If he had made sexist comments, that would perhaps be a different thing. But the, the fact that he says this stuff about a political commentator, at the end of the day, I think even if the MPS wanted to do something, they're going to be very limited in what they can do. But at least for the moment, the tweeting teacher, he is on leave, presumably being paid while they conduct the investigation. Back with more in just a minute. It's 12.53. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. You know, um, we talk, and coming up in about 10 minutes, I want to talk about what some Wisconsin legislators are trying to do to stop the epidemic of people driving recklessly and driving without licenses, either revoked, suspended, or never having them, and how some of the forces in the community are fighting them. We will discuss that. You know, one of the things that it's been interesting to me over the last couple years with President Trump is watching how he has for good or bad, revamped the Republican Party on on issues. Um, Because, you know, candidly, if you look at a number of his policies, they are certainly not the traditional Republican policies. For example, it is, I, I think, a mainstay of Republican policy to be free trade. We recognize it is a global economy. We recognize that, you know, what we do in the United States um, affects other countries, and what they do affects us. And the idea is that you can't just be insular. You look at, for example, the people that are growing cranberries in Wisconsin. Well, they're not just selling them to people in Wisconsin or in the United States. We're selling them overseas as well. And that's why, I mean, I, I've been an unabashed free trader for the longest time. Well, President Trump got elected under this theory that, yeah, it's great to have trade, but that we have, we being the United States, We've been essentially being rogered by a whole bunch of other countries, and particular China, where their trade policies have put American manufacturers at a huge disadvantage. And the response of President Trump was, okay, we're going we're gonna to essentially get into a trade war, and we are going to threaten China with all sorts of tariffs. We, Unless they change their trade policy, what we're going to do is we're going to start putting huge import fees on the stuff that they are bringing into the country. And of course, the way China then responds is saying, okay, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to retaliate by jacking up our tariffs. Pretty soon, what you do is you have the manufacturers that end up getting caught in the middle. Now, I have a number of friends of mine who are involved in international business. And and what they've been telling me all along is they're saying, Jeff, you know, people just don't realize how how much the Chinese the government has been ripping us off as far as trade deals and things like that. And even though my friends in the industry are, are unabashed free traders as well, they would be telling me about how it's just, I mean, China has just not been fair. I bring this up because China announced today that it is going to slash tariffs on $75 billion worth of U.S. imports. Um, they're going to cut tariffs on U.S. goods or on some U.S. goods from 10% down to 5%. And then on other goods, they're going to reduce tariffs from 5% to 2.5%. And, and so I, I look at this, and if we, again, agree that free trade is good, 
And I understand that there's some people who don't want to give President Trump any credit at all. But the bottom line is, is if it was not for President Trump taking a tough stand with China on the issue of tariffs, I don't think you'd see China dropping the tariffs to, again, make it easier for companies, U.S. companies, to sell in the U.S., Also, China is pledged to boost its purchase of American merchandise and services by $200 billion over two years. That number might be tough to meet, especially with what's going on with the coronavirus. But the bottom line is, even though I didn't necessarily see this working in the beginning, some of the tough talk and the trade policies and the the tariffs imposed by President Trump appear to have have moved China in the right direction. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Eric Bilstead, did you watch the Bucks game on Christmas Day when they played Philadelphia? Did you watch any of that game I on TV? I saw just a little bit, and they were raining threes. Well, and... it, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting because the Bucks are 43-7, and seven, mm-hmm. by far and away the best record in the NBA. They're, they certainly seem to be the real deal. The only of those seven losses, the only game that they really weren't competitive in, it, it was, was that, that 76ers one, yeah. game. Because they, they were just really never in that game. And, of course, it's over an you know 82-game schedule. That, that's going to happen. You're going to throw sure. in a clunker sure. here and there, or the other team gets hot. And you're right. That's I was watching part of it. Philadelphia, I mean, everything they were throwing up was, was going in. Um, it, I think it is going to be fascinating tonight because now the game is in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. nationally televised. You can, hear, of course, hear it here on WTMJ as well. But it's it's going to be interesting to see. My guess is the Bucks are going to be hacked off. I mean, my my guess is the Bucks probably remember that they laid oh, sure. an egg on national TV Christmas Day. So this is another nationally televised game. My guess is they're they're going to come out and they're going to play with an edge to them. And I would assume these two will play again sometime in the oh. spring slash summer. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. And now Philadelphia has kind of fallen on hard times, but a lot of people. I think we're predicting that they were the second best team in in the East, and and they've been struggling a little bit lately. And I think they've got some discontent from what I understand in the locker room. Yeah. They've got some good players, but I think it's going to be a great game tonight because I'm going to be curious to see if the Bucks come out again, playing with a degree of hacked offedness. Sure, if that's yeah, a, yeah. a phrase. Well, chip that. on the shoulder. I that's it. it. Okay, let me ask you this, Gru. You, I want you to play on this too. I, I I I understand this is fair. We do not discuss this in advance. 2018 which is the last year that I have the numbers for, how many people in Wisconsin would you guess had their driver's licenses either revoked or suspended? Right, So you've got a valid driver's And we're not talking about people who don't have a license, but mm-hmm. these are people in the state who have a valid license who find that it's either revoked or suspended. Do you have a guess as to how many? Uh, I'm going to say 4,500. 4,500. 4,500. Gru, you want to... Don't don't give me the prices right thing about four thousand five hundred and one. Would you have a guess? <laughs> uh, I'll take a little lower. I'll take like three twenty five to three thousand. Okay. So, and and would you say that those numbers would be a a lot? You know, if four three or four thousand. Would you consider that to be a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Not only are you not right, <laughs> you guys aren't even close. Oh, Two thousand eighteen. Four. Hundred and fourteen thousand one hundred and seventy-six drivers suffered revocations and suspensions of their driver's license. Four hundred thousand, according to the Bureau of Driver Services. Um, 
that number is up from um, 370,000 in 2017. (laughs) An enormously large number of people. Now, now that's not to say, there's all sorts of reasons why people get their driver's license suspended. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that everybody's driving recklessly or or whatever. It might be you get some fine, you don't pay, that type of stuff. But over four hundred thousand—that's that, staggering. You know, it's just a staggering number, and it is very, very clear that there is a significant percentage of that, whether it's fifty percent or twenty percent. But even if it's only ten percent, you know, you're still talking about like forty thousand people lot, who would yeah. be driving. You know, go ahead and drive without a license. It's an enormous number that is out there, right? Yes. Okay, we agree. Yes. All right, you can go now. That's fine. I just, I, 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 but I, no, but I, I mean, I was stunned by that number too. I oh mean, my so gosh, it's crazy number. Right, I, I was stunned. I was stunned by that. So if you wonder why, you know, every time you turn on the radio news or you turn on the TV news or you pick up a newspaper and you hear, okay, uh, well, somebody's fled from the police or somebody's been involved in an automobile accident or somebody's done this or that or whatever, and you hear the license was suspended or revoked, and I don't think that number includes people who are driving without ever having a license. It's because there are an enormous number of people out there who've had their driver's licenses suspended for a variety of reasons. And one of the other things I know, and again, it's anecdotal, I can't tell you you know, what percentage this is. But for, for a lot of people, you get your driver's license suspended, so you're not legally allowed to drive. And I understand what you do. You say, okay, I, I'm not going to drive. I don't have a valid license. I'm going to make other arrangements. I'm going to take public transportation. I'm going to have my spouse or my friends drive me around. I mean, I, th- there are a good percentage of people that will follow the law. They'll serve out their suspension. They'll figure out a way to pay off their fines or whatever. They'll get their driver's license back, and they'll go about their business. All right. But we also know that there are an equally or at least a substantial number of people who don't give a rat's rump about the rules and who don't care that they're not allowed to legally drive. And so they go ahead and drive anyways. Maybe it's this justification about, well, gee, I I need a car to get to work. So, I mean, I'm not going to just not drive. Maybe it's, oh, there's no consequences. And there's an element to that of, of driving without a license. Maybe it's. They'll never catch me. I'm not going to have a problem. But constantly, people are driving without licenses, and they do it over and over again. And chances are, if they're driving without a license, what else does that mean? Well, they probably don't have insurance on the car. You know, we have a mandatory insurance law in this state. So if you're driving without insurance, without a driver's license, you're involved in an automobile accident, well, then the person that you've hit is kind of on their own, and they better have uninsured motorist coverage, which is one of the things I always preach. I bring this up because we have not come up with a good way to stop people from driving recklessly without licenses. Now, I understand that at some point in time, there are penalties if you are involved in a serious automobile accident or you kill somebody and you're driving without a license, all right, there's criminal penalties, and you're going to be going to prison if you're convicted. I I understand that. But day in, day out, the people who are driving without paying attention to whether they have a valid license or not, they get away with it because they know that unless and until they're involved in a serious matter, there's not going to be any significant consequences, which brings me to a law being proposed by State Senator David Craig and State Representative Joe Sanfilippo from from New Berlin. 
And what this would be, the law would say that if you are caught driving with a revoked license, without a valid license, your vehicle would be immediately impounded. The requirement would apply in cases of, again, driving on a suspended license, driving after revocation, driving without a license. All right, Your car would be impounded. You don't have a valid license. Boom. A person could get a car back at the end of an impound period by paying a fine or forfeiture for the license violation and the fees at the impound lot. Vehicle could not be released, though, unless it was properly registered and the person to whom it was registered showed proof of insurance and a valid operator's license. Right. So the bottom line is you get caught driving without a license. They are going to impound your vehicle, They at least impound the vehicle that you are driving. All right. If you're driving your own vehicle, you're not going to be able to get it back until you can demonstrate that you've got a valid license and you pay the fines. If you are driving somebody else's vehicle, well, they're going to have to go down and they're going to have to show that they've got a valid driver's license. It's their car. They've got insurance. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My opinion, there's a couple nuances to this that maybe sort of need to be worked out. Like, for example, what if somebody steals your car, you've reported it stolen, and then they get caught? You know, should you be the one that has to pay the impound fees? I, it's so that, that doesn't strike me as being fair. But, but big picture, you know, I understand you got to work out a couple details on this, but big picture, what about the idea of impounding the cars of people who get caught driving without a license? I got to tell you, I think I'm 110% for it. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. That, that 414,000 number, that, that's statewide. Some people are saying, really, that many in Milwaukee? It, it's statewide. But I think that's an enormous number. But you've got a state representative, a state senator who's saying, all right, here's the deal. You get caught driving without a license or on a revoked license or whatever. We are impounding your car. And you're not getting your car back until you can demonstrate proof of insurance, that you're legally entitled to drive it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I understand there's some devil in certain details. And, and you can come up with certain scenarios. Okay, how is the law going to work? But as a general rule, I think this is way overdue. Nick in New Berlin. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I agree with you 100%. I'm a law enforcement officer in Milwaukee County, and in the area of the city I work, I'd say eight out of the 10 drivers I stop do not have a license or never have one. 80%. 80%. Yes. Got it. In my patrol area, yes. And all that happens is they keep getting tickets. They never pay. They just issue more suspensions on their license. It's pretty much endless. Uh, we may or may not tow the vehicle. A lot of times they don't have a registered vehicle or a signed over title. They just have the title, no plates on it, no license issued, and that's it. What we need is this mandatory tow of vehicle and have it mandatory to register a vehicle in your name. You have to have a valid license as well. Because mm-hmm. I could never have a driver's license, buy a car, and register it in my name, even though I don't have a valid license. I think mm-hmm. this would help 
us tremendously in Milwaukee County. Right, because, Nick, what happens is a practical matter. is like you say, you pull the people over for whatever, and, and again, you find, okay, this is the 10th time, this is the 20th time. They get the tickets, they get the fines, they simply paper their, their living room with it, and finally what will happen is at some point in time they drive in a reckless fashion, blow through a red light, hit and kill somebody, and at that point in time, well, then they're going to prison, and that's all well and good, but somebody's dead. Why don't we get these people off the road in the first place? And one other point is the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office doesn't take traffic seriously. A second offense operated while suspended ticket can be yep. a criminal offense in downtown court. They'll laugh at you and kick those out of court every day as they just go back to issuing the municipal citation. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. You're right. The law, I think it, it provides for up to 30 days or something, but it has to be prosecuted and they don't do it. Yeah, thank, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. And, and my question is why? And I, I mean, and I understand there's elements in the community that are, well, you know, we don't want to crack down on people who are driving without licenses and because it's going to be discriminatory and how are they going to get to work, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay, th- then why bother? Does that make the rest of us chumps who, you know, register our cars and who have valid driver's licenses who go down to the DMV beforehand or if in some case you lose your license for whatever reason you make alternative arrangements I mean seriously how many people have to die and be seriously injured on the roadways around here before we realize that driving without a license or with a suspended license or revoked license is a big deal Michelle Michelle you're in WTMJ hello Hi, thanks for taking my call. Your your previous caller covered many of the things I'm seeing. I'm a landlord. I tell you at least 60% of the applications I get once I do my background checks are on people who are driving without a valid driver's license. And I'm not talking one shot. I'm talking I've had many that have been driving six, seven, eight, nine years without a valid driver's license, and it gets revoked time and time again and nothing happens. Yeah. I think it's time we stop enabling them. I also see this as a benefit to possibly getting some potential drunk drivers off the road because sure. are you likely going to loan your car to somebody? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I'm up here in Madison. I have heard attorneys tell people, well, go ahead, tell someone who's bad at DUI, doesn't have a valid driver's license, go ahead and drive another car. The cops are too busy to worry about you as long as the plates don't match your name and you don't do anything that's going to attract you know attention. I would love to see some of those people get pulled over right. and then have their buddy's car taken away from them. And guess what? The buddy's not going to help the front out anymore. We're we're enabling people to behave poorly. Well, exactly right. If if you've got some loser pal who's, you know, you know he's been caught a couple times or she's been caught a couple times drunk and driving or whatever, and, and if you know that your car is at risk... Well, right. You're exactly right. You're going to be a lot less likely to say, here, go go take my car and, and go drive it to the mall. You're not going to do it because you now have skin in the game. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, th- these numbers are staggering. First caller, a police officer. He estimates that 80 percent of the people that he stops don't have a valid driver's license. And, you know, my guess is you could stop them three days later and they're still not going to have a valid driver's license. And like I say, they don't have insurance. My guess is if you don't have a valid driver's license in almost all the cases, you're not going to have valid insurance as well. Why even have these laws if we're going to be silly about it? You know, Michelle says in Madison, she runs background checks. Sixty percent of the people, they don't have valid driver's licenses. and They've been driving with revoked licenses for years and years. Brian in Thienesville. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I just wanted to add my perspective as a police officer as well. I don't work in Thienesville. I work in a rural area. And I couldn't begin to tell you how many times over the past 25 years that I've been a police officer, I've stopped people who've been revoked or suspended numerous occasions. 
I was telling your screener a couple weeks ago, I had an incident, an individual was going 97 down a country highway at 11 o'clock at night. I pulled him over. Not only did he have his license revoked, it had been revoked a few times before that. It wasn't DWI related, so it wasn't a criminal offense. But he was also driving a vehicle with no insurance. Sure. He had no registration on his vehicle. And what's to stop him? I, I, I could guarantee that if I sat on that same highway yeah. again, probably within a couple of weeks, I'd be able to get him again right. because so, there are no consequences. So and your point is for people who might just think that, okay, this is, this is an urban problem. This is confined to the city of Milwaukee. You're saying that that's not the case at all. Oh, that's not the case at all. I've been a rural officer for 25 years now, and I probably in the hundreds of people that I've stopped that are driving well suspended or driving well revoked. You know, it happens all over the state. It's not confined to any one area, and there are no consequences now. Like I said, this individual had six or seven previous revocations or driving mm-hmm. after suspended, and there, there's no jail time, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, years ago they changed. Years ago, I can remember when I started. Now I can talk way back because I'm old school. I was in. I've been in it 25 years now. If you had your license suspended and you were caught three times, it became a revocation. Revocation, you automatically took them to jail. Yep. Well, they changed that law, and the reason they changed it was because in urban areas like Milwaukee or or Madison or whatever, there were so many people that were driving with suspended that it would have filled up their facilities. It would have filled up the facilities. So they changed it to make it non-criminal for offenses unless it's alcohol-related. Okay, so and all that does is embolden people. All that does is embolden people to continue driving without the licenses. Oh, exactly. There's no reason for them not to. You know, and if they lose their license for failure to pay a fine, what is their incentive to pay another fine? They're just gonna, it's just going to go on their record again. You know, so they, the fines really don't do any good. So you need to have some teeth. You need to start taking the vehicles. Right, and I guarantee- love the people who just call up a call call up and say, "Okay, well, your car is gone." Right, exactly. Thanks, thanks for the call, and and then okay, you don't get it back if it's your car. You don't get it back until you come in and you you pay you know whatever you owe and you get your license that's valid. Okay, and if you decide that you're just going to not make car payments and it's going to be impounded, then we're going to send it back to the bank. But I mean, it seems to me we have to do something because what we're doing right now isn't working. And again, interestingly, you've got a lot of the usual suspects who are coming up and saying, oh, we don't want to support this bill because it's going to disproportionately affect this person or that person. Nuts to that. Let's get these people who don't have licenses, let's get them off the road. And we haven't been able to do that the way we're doing it now. So let's start taking the cars. And again, there's certain details that you have to work out to make sure that innocent, truly innocent owners aren't being punished. But that that's that's a detail you can figure out. For most of the people, they know exactly what they're doing. They are not innocent owners. Impound the cars, make the streets safer. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It is amazing to me that in 2020, we still can't get accurate results from from a caucus. This The New York Times has the story out. And if you're just tuning in, the, the Iowa caucus, I mean, that was what, Monday. And here we are on Thursday, and it's still just a complete and total mess. 
the chairman of the Democratic Party is, is announcing that he thinks that they should essentially do a hand re-canvas in order to make people more confident about the results. And my response is, there, there's nothing you can do. That horse is out of the barn. You, you can recount as many times as you want, and I don't think that's going to make anybody any more confident in the results. Here's what the New York Times, of all places, did. They're, they said... Um, Results from the Iowa Democratic caucuses were delayed by quality control checks on Monday night. Days later, the quality control issues have not been resolved. The results released by the Iowa Democratic Party on Wednesday were riddled with inconsistencies and other flaws. According to the New York Times analysis, more than 100 precincts reported results that were internally inconsistent, that were missing data, or that were not possible under the complex rules of the Iowa caucuses. Not possible. In some cases, vote tallies do not add up. In others, precincts are shown allotting the wrong number of delegates to certain candidates. At least in a few cases, the Iowa Democratic Party's results do not match those reported by the precincts. Hmm. Some of the inconsistencies may prove to be innocuous, and they do not indicate an intentional effort to compromise or rig the result. There's no apparent bias in favor of the leaders, meaning the overall effect on the winner's margin may be small, but not all the errors are minor, and they raise questions about whether the public will ever get a completely precise account of Iowa results. And the answer to that is is no. I I mean, and that's why I I think from the Democratic Party's perspective – You've got to realize that this was just a major league disaster. It was too complicated. They didn't test the software they had. They couldn't figure out a way to count votes. And like I say, it wasn't just a simple head count. They had all these weird rules that nobody understood, apparently including the people that were responsible for administering it. Uh, This idea, okay, let's go back and have manual hand counts and drag this thing on a couple more weeks. No, it's not going to change anything. And bottom line is I don't think anybody moving forward is going to be comfortable at all that the results – of the other night accurately necessarily mirror what happened. Now, I think they're going to end up being close, but are we ever going to know whether, you know, Pete Buttigieg got 26.2% of the vote and Bernie Sanders got 26.1%? It's just, I, it's just too screwed up to do that, um, which does, uh, again, make you wonder how something like that could have been allowed to happen. All right. The, the topic starts off with, hey, buddy, want to shoot up? Let me find a vein. Drug abuse is a huge problem in this country. Um, For whatever reason, we have not been able, years and years of the war on drugs, and still we have not been able to cope with at least the fascination that some people in the general public have for the allure of drugs. And and that's, we, we wrestle with this. And I understand there's some people who think that, well, we should treat drug addiction as a a medical situation. We shouldn't treat it as a criminal justice problem. There are other people who think that, well, incarcerating people doesn't do the job, doesn't accomplish anything. Um, I get all that. And, And in a perfect world, we would figure out a way to discourage people from shooting heroin and using cocaine and taking methamphetamine and all those things. And I, I will say this. If you have, and I go back on my experience, you know, chasing drug dealers back in the 80s and 90s, if you have ever seen the effect that drug use has on individuals, 
you, you would understand why things like legalizing or making this sort of normal is just kind of a non-starter. And if you've ever had a member of your family that's been addicted to drugs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, the people that are, uh, again, your, your loved ones that's stealing stuff from you in order to finance the drug habit, all those different types of things. You understand that this is not a good and positive thing for our society. So we are wrestling with how to control this. One of the new way approaches is to say, well, we can't stop people from, from doing drugs. So why bother? What we can do is we can try to make it safer and easier for them to use drugs. So instead of I don't know, going into some drug house and having to shoot up with dirty needles or something like that and possibly overdosing, you know, by themselves. What what we could do is we could create an environment where there are people, including maybe some medical professionals around, who can make sure they're using clean needles, who can help them inject their heroin with clean needles, and who are there in the event they have an overdose, they are there to administer something to them to maybe keep them alive. All right, in, in Canada, there are, in different big cities, what they call safe injection sites that do exactly that. The idea is that you can go there, the prosecutors will not charge you for having illegal drugs. They won't prosecute you for doing the drugs. And they'll essentially turn a blind eye to what goes on. There will be medical professionals who will be in these drug houses. And what they will do is they will help you shoot up. They will administer. If, if you have a problem, if you have an overdose, they'll be there to try to help you. That's the, one of the ways that Canada is approaching this. So far in the United States... These these safe injection sites haven't gotten much traction, but in some big cities, including Chicago, there is a move afoot to do exactly that. Big story in today's Chicago Tribune. Should Chicago open safe sites for drug users? Then it says there's already a makeshift network and it's saving lives, but it talks about how the Cook County State's attorney flew to Toronto to visit sites there. And how, um, you know, that's one of the pushes that some of the people in Chicago think that this is the way to go. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I gotta tell you, I think this is nuts. But, but I'm willing to discuss this. The argument is they're going to do it anyways. You're going to have people that are going to decide to shoot heroin, and you're not going to be able to stop them from doing that. So given the fact that they're going to do it anyways, why don't we normalize this? Why don't we give them spots that they can go and they can do this to their heart's content under the supervision of medical professionals? And by the way, while they're there, we'll have counselors involved who will you know, try to give them other options and try to talk them out of doing this. But, you know, but we understand the bottom line is this is going to be a safe haven for people to go to shoot heroin. All right. Do you want that place in your neighborhood? Is this a good idea as a matter of public policy? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Tom in Appleton. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Um, what do I think? I, I don't know. I don't know. But what we're doing now is not working. 
and more enforcement, more punishment. I don't know how that's going to change anything. I do think you're somewhat downplaying the treatments uh, part of the equation. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, the wild, wild west where we're going to have legal heroin uh, clinics on every corner. But I think we need to identify who's having the problem. I think we need to get them in treatment. I, you know, and I still think there needs to be some enforcement on illegal drug dealing. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing now doesn't work. So if we want to put more people in prison and we want to lock them up and punish them, who are we going to let out? Because the prisons are overcrowded. Do we want to build more prisons? Well, where's that tax money going to come from? Nobody well, wants to raise taxes. No, I, I understand so where, that. What's your, what's your solution? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but let, let's talk about the safe injection sites. Aren't we, by doing that, essentially, in, if, if we agree that, let's take shooting heroin or you know doing methamphetamine is bad, aren't we enabling that behavior if we and normalizing the behavior if we just set up places where, where you can go and you can do it where we just turn a blind eye to it. I mean, isn't that enabling this bad behavior? Only, only if we're not offering an alternative. Only if it's strictly about giving safe sites for injection. If the, if the goal is to identify the users, get them some type of help to become unaddicted, then that's that's not really the same as just saying, here's, here's heroin. Here's a place to shoot up. Well, I disagree with that. Okay, well, that's what you're saying. Well, it's in Tom, and again, they're, they're not. My understanding is, I, I don't think we've gotten to this point that even at these safe injection sites, we have the government providing the heroin. You have to bring it there, and and it, it's true that in theory, what they have is they'll have an addiction counselor that will be there. So if people are looking for help, you got the counselor who can maybe encourage them. But it, it's it, it's it's somewhat. It's. I don't. I think it's kind of counterintuitive to say here. I'm going in and I'm going to shoot up heroin, and at the same time, I'm going to be talking to somebody about maybe getting clean. I guess I just see this as enabling a very, very dangerous and destructive form of lifestyle. And 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 like I say, I I understand that there's issues with the quote unquote war on on drugs. And a lot of times, for people who are just users, what ends up getting put the, getting put in prison isn't necessarily the use of the drugs. It's what it's where they go to get the money to to buy the drugs. You know, the the fact that they're committing other crimes and it's all those type of things. And I understand that our fascination with drugs is a huge problem in our society. And and I guess it's it's one of those things that for for decades especially having worked in that field, or at least the criminal justice field related to that, it always got my attention because, I, again, I, I would see the families that are absolutely destroyed by this. And, and the truth of the matter is, you know, if you're going to continuing use, if you're going to continue using drugs, and you're going to be a heavy intravenous drug user, for example. Well, you're, you're either going to get yourself clean, or you're going to end up in a morgue. That's just, that's just the reality of of this for the vast majority of people. Or I guess you're going to end up in prison. I. I'm open to other ideas. I am open to being aggressive and trying to offer people treatment. And, and maybe we need to spend more money on the treatment part of the equation. All right, I, I'm open to that. But the idea of just simply saying, all right, we're going to take 
uh, a vacant building, for example, in Milwaukee, and we're going to say this is a free zone. Go do dope there, you know, and, and we're going to have people there that are going to show you how to inject, and we're going to have people there that are going to provide you, I, I don't know, um, clean needles. And I understand we do the needle exchange thing, and they're going to be there so you don't have to worry. You can get yourself high, and if you've gotten some bad heroin, they'll be there to help you out or whatever. I, I think that normalizes this behavior. And the last thing we want to do, even in 2020, is normalize this. I mean, I think there needs to continue to be a stigma against this. Plus, from the perspective of, of a medical provider, I mean, who's going to want to work in one of these places? I mean, seriously, if you're if you're a nurse or a doctor, I mean, is this is this where you want to be? You're, you're a nurse. You want to be standing there in some like uh, place filled with a bunch of junkies waiting for somebody to overdose so you could administer this. I mean, it. And and where where does the where does the oath come into place? You know, I just there, there's all these different issues that are there. And again, maybe I'm just naive about this, but I don't think we are ready right now to start saying, okay, let's have these safe quote unquote safe injection sites where we let people do whatever it is that they want to do because that normalizes the behavior. I believe that the more you destigmatize the behavior, the more you say it's okay to do it. I think it leads to more people doing those type of drugs, and the result, the result isn't good. And if anybody's ever worked with people who've been battling drug addiction addictions or in the middle of drug addiction addictions or had family members who were strung out on drugs, you know exactly what I am talking about. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. During our newscasts earlier today, we were, we were doing reports on, on how stores are finding it difficult to keep the, those masks that, that people wear into in stock because there's now been a run on them. Now, I, I hate to disabuse people of this, but most of the experts say those kind of cheap paper masks that you buy in a drugstore or whatever, they're probably not going to be that effective if you're worried about getting sick. There, there's there's different kind of masks. There's the cheap kind of paper masks that don't. You know, there, there's a lot of times there's gaps, and what'll happen is, okay, maybe somebody will pull it back and scratch their chin, and, and then you you let outside air in, and your finger scratches your chin. Those are different than the surgical masks that, like, the doctors and nurses wear that are, if not fitted, they're they're very form fitting. So, I, what what I tell people, okay, if you're worried about some virus or something, you know, don't don't wear a mask. No, I wouldn't, but you need to understand that, again, for the types of those cheap paper masks that you're going to buy, if you think that that's going to be some magic bullet that's going to stop you from getting sick, well, you you know, prepare to be disappointed with that. All right, nevertheless, people are, in fact, worried about this coronavirus. Now, what we know so far is that there have been uh, 12 confirmed cases of the virus in the United States. Federal government has issued a travel warning recommending U.S. residents not travel to China except in essential cases. Number of airlines have stopped flying into China, which is where this this broke out. It's already killed hundreds of uh, people and sickened thousands in China. But again, th- this coronavirus is it, for most people, I believe, who contract it. It's going to be like a cold. I mean, that, that's that's what it is. The virus is similar to a cold. 
just like with the flu, most people who get the flu, you're going to be sick as heck for a couple days. But then what's ultimately going to happen is, is you're going to get better. I mean, the way that the experts say you deal with the coronavirus, like other viruses, is, okay, you, you cover up your coughs, um, frequent hand washing, et cetera, et cetera, those sort of things. You know, keep yourself hydrated, get plenty of rest. It, it's the same thing you do when you're, you know, dealing with an ordinary cold or something like that. But... For people who have compromised immune systems, uh, the very young, maybe the very old, it it can pose a a life-threatening situation. We now have the first confirmed case of a coronavirus in Wisconsin. Apparently what happened, it's out in Madison. Somebody had flown, and we don't know if it's a male or female, what their age is. They had flown in from China. They started feeling ill, I, I guess, either before they left or on the plane or whatever. They got into Madison, and as soon as they got there, they immediately went over to the hospital. Um, they weren't admitted at UW Health University Hospital, but they were, in fact, uh, tested, and they, they tested positive for the coronavirus. They were then sent home, and so now they're kind of in a semi-quarantine at their, their own house, and health officials check in with them on a, on a daily basis. But that's the only confirmed case in, in Wisconsin. Nevertheless... People are panicked. It's just kind of like when the weather guys or gals say, we're going to get six inches of snow, and people run out and you can't find milk or bread in the the food stores because people just don't know how to process this information, and they panic about it. And here, we're, we're going to buy all the bread. We might be stuck in the house for two weeks, so let's buy all the milk we can, stuff like that. This coronavirus, and I understand it's a different sort of thing, but people are, again, concerned, so you're having the, the rush on the masks and things like that. And we now do have our first confirmed case in Wisconsin. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I were travel, if I had a trip planned to China, I admit that I would probably do everything in my power to reschedule this because that's where, you know, that's the center of this. Having said that, though, with the exception of, again, I, I wouldn't be going to China at this point in time until they got a handle on it. Having said that, I'm, I'm otherwise not worried a, about this. I mean, I, I, I guess I figure I'm a moderately healthy person. I, you know, hopefully you don't want to get sick with this because it sounds like it's kind of a nasty sort of thing. But at this point in time, this isn't the plague. And I guess as far as I know, again, rushing out to buy surgical masks and things like that. I'm not at that point right now. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to, no pun intended, I want to take your temperature on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being, I'm no more worried about this than I am about getting the flu or about tripping and falling and breaking my ankle, versus 10 Oh my goodness, red bells are going, alarm bells are going off. I'm afraid to leave the house. Where are you on that scale of 1 to 10? I got to tell you, I'm I'm pretty much a 1 right now. But that's just me. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How concerned are you about this this coronavirus and the fact that I don't know, maybe you're going to get sick, maybe people close to you are going to get sick, maybe it's going to spread. How worried are you? Like I say, I'm probably about a one right now. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How concerned are you about the coronavirus? Let's start with Brian. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. I'm just calling. I'm married to a Chinese woman born and raised in Beijing, China. And um, my wife was due to go home on March 28th. We have since canceled her flight um, to just in prevent prevention of. Sure. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense to me, by the way. <laughs> that does, well, I think not, I'd be doing the same we, thing. Yeah. Yeah, we are concerned about that. But last Saturday, we sent because of the shortage of the N95 masks, which are the surgical masks that are resistant to the virus and help protect against the virus. Um, we sent 150 of them over. I was able to obtain it because I work in healthcare right. as a pathologist. So I was able to obtain a case of 1,000. We sent 150. We had to send them registered mail because the Chinese postal workers have been, uh, if they get any sense that they are masked, they're stealing them right in the, from the postal. So we uh, just to anybody that's you know, in our situation, send them registered mail because then that's the only way to guarantee that they're going to get through. Right. Brian, now, Brian, am I here, correct that the, the type of masks that you're talking about are are special medical masks as opposed to, I don't know, maybe the things that people would just pick up in drugstores? Right. Just recently, I was, I was, I, I serve as a clinical center. As I said, I'm a, a pathologist, and um, we had a facility that was under quarantine as a result of the norovirus just a few weeks ago, and they were the, the surgical N95 mask, which is the kind of mask that prevents the spread of the virus. You know, there's no guarantee sure. of anything, you know, but it it helps reduce the uh, number of people that can spread the virus by taking those type of precautions. Sure. I don't think, um, I don't think at this day, I think we should be more concerned about the norovirus and the other type of viruses that are being spread right now through the school, throughout the schools and throughout the other things. I mean, in influenza, right. um, type A is just running rapid up here in the, the Northwoods and in the Fox Valley where I actually live. Yeah. I'm up, I'm working up, I see patients up north right now and it's just, uh, it's just. Well, you know, I, I did, a, I did a topic on this yesterday in, in Milwaukee. Um, only 38% of the people have gotten flu shots. You know, of course, that their goal is 70% to kind of get that, that, that you know, the, the herd immunity there. But only 38% have. And, and so even down here, too, you know, you've got the number of flu shots. I, I, and I, and I, did, hear, I, did, hear, I did hear your, sh- your show yesterday and did hear that. And I would expect that, that that number is somewhat the same or even less, especially with among the young people. I've got a 20-year-old son who refuses to get a flu shot, citing the fact that he's young and healthy and he doesn't need it. My wife and I both have gotten one. We've encouraged him. I, like I said, I work in healthcare, so, uh, you know, I can't stress enough the importance of getting it. Yeah, some people react that percentage is less than 2%, uh, you know, so to Brian, take that risk, you know. One more just, question before I, I let you go. Does, does, your, does your wife still have, she has family in, in China, I assume? My wife has a, has family in Beijing. Her father's there, and that's why we sent 150 masks for not only her but some of her aunties. We also have a friend in Wuhan. She she's a librarian in Nina, um, and her family is still in Wuhan right now, and they're under um, quarantine. And we also have a friend 
that left January 14th to go visit her father who had a stroke in Changsha, which mm-hmm. is just south of Wuhan in the same province of Hunan. And she is unable to come back to the United States right. as a result of what's going on right now. And so she's stuck. Right. So <laughs> Interesting. It's, hey, I mean, it's, it's just and the havoc it's wreaking on the Chinese economy. People in the United States have no idea. A pound of pork in Beijing went from an American $5.00. Now it's about $45 just for a pound of pork. Wow. Hey, so, thanks thanks for the call, Brian. I appreciate the perspective. And and please understand, I, I'm talking, like, for example, when I say to me the coronavirus is a one, that's me sitting here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, and, and knowing all the, the safeguards we put in place. But it, I, I, I understand that if you were in China – and you were in the situation that you're talking about, your family members were in China, then, then I can, I certainly understand why it would be a 9 or a 10 for all those different factors. And I do appreciate you bringing up the, the, the effect on, on the economy a, as well and, and the costs. I was reading this thing today about these people who are trapped on the cruise ship and, you know, where, you know, they're, they're on the cruise ship. It's a confined area. Somebody comes down with this. And so now the whole cruise ship is quarantined and people are going to be quarantined and they're stuck in their little, their cabins for a couple weeks. I mean, wow, you want to talk about the trip from you know where. Adam in Lamira. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'd, I'd say it's a one for me. And, and in fact, um, if it, if it wasn't, um, if the the risk of infecting others wasn't there and I wasn't being um, irresponsible with other people's health, I'd even go over to China because I, in, just in thinking about it, I, it's not like I'd cancel a you know $3,500 trip that I paid good money for if I knew that the common cold was running rampant over there. So right. it, that, that there's just risk with everything. You know, I don't, I'm probably more likely to die on the road and I don't, you know, uh, stop driving because uh, you know there's a potential to die in a car accident so for me it's just a it's a one completely yeah, yeah and I, I mean think i see and i again that that's where i kind of come down as well now i don't i don't think you want to or it's wise to unnecessarily expose yourself to risks and like that's why i say like if if i if i had a leisure trip that was scheduled to china right now i i wouldn't i wouldn't be going but for example am i overly concerned about traveling in general no i mean i'm i'm on vacation next week we're going to be going out of town for a little bit and and, and we're going to be flying on planes and i'm not going to be wearing masks or anything like that i'm you know we're going to be going through airports now admittedly the airports that we're going to be going through aren't ones that are on the list of where all the flights coming back from china are but i'm not I, I guess I, I'm not overly concerned about this. If I had relatives in China, if I was in China, I understand that it's probably a different perspective. But I mean, this does again. Th- this does show one of the, the the vulnerabilities we have in this world because you you have whether like was Brian was talking about with the the flu and all those problems, but whether it's the the this virus or, or some of the other things that are out there, we still. I mean, we, we are vulnerable to these different types of things, and it certainly can have an effect on people who are at the epicenter, but also it, it does have a residual effect on trade. And Brian is absolutely right. Big picture, you know, if this lasts a long time, and, and look, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the radio. But if if it lasts a long time, it does have an impact on, on trade because right now you've got goods, you know, goods aren't going in and they're not coming out, or at least they're not going in or coming out at the rate that they did for a while before. And if that goes on for a long period of time, it has an impact on on the economy. So it's something to watch. Am I changing my lifestyle? Not at all. This is Jeff Wagner.